That was a beautiful prayer to pray. Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Were we thinking what we were praying? Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Next question is, does the Holy Spirit feel comfortable coming into your heart? Have you made room for him? Would he feel at home? Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Wean it from earth through all its pulses move. Through all the pulses of the heart. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as thou art, and make me love thee as I ought to love. Thank you for that song. Beautiful. Beautiful prayer. Well, good evening and greetings to all of you. I usually spend a bit of time here at Bible school, but I don't think it's going to work out this year. I did listen in, and I was really excited for you all as I listened in this morning. And I really, yeah, I'm really excited about the messages and very thankful to you, Brother Mick, Brother John, for agreeing to come. Thank you from me to you all. And just an encouragement to all of you young people. Get to bed, get a lot of sleep, so you can get here tomorrow morning. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. This is life-changing. These things are life-changing. And so just be willing to lay aside those couple of extra minutes tonight. Get to bed in time so you're alert and awake. And I think you'll have something that will go to bless you for many, many years. So once again, we're thankful that we have the teachers we have. I'm sorry to report that our evening speaker had asked to be relieved about two and a half weeks ago. And so we reluctantly released him. And if you know anything about how hard it is to find speakers, it was probably just easier for me to say, I'll take it, than to find someone to replace last minute. So you pray for me, and we will trust the Lord to work in our hearts in the evenings also. Let's rise to your feet for a word of prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are gathered in this evening, and we got our cups turned up. There is nothing more that we desire than to have that infilling of the Holy Spirit. It'll teach us your truth. It'll guide us in the way of truth. It'll teach us how to walk in this life. It'll wean our heart from the world. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would pulse through all the pulses of our heart. Bless our evening today, this evening, as we get together, as we look into your word. Bless each one that is here tonight, especially the youth. Father, I pray that this week would go down in history 
as life-changing. You know we need those kind of things, not, more, not just once in our lifetime, but we need those constant life-changing blessings coming our way. And I just ask, Father, it's our prayer. Hear our cry. Make it life-changing for all of us and especially the youth as they sit here. We ask, Lord, start a revival. Lord, would you just sweep across our hearts Give us such a passion for the things of God that we could, along with the Lord Jesus Christ, as it was said of him, he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. So bless our evening. Bless the message. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this evening, I would like to look at the topic of the Holy Spirit. If you're going to get anything out of the messages this week or anything out of this week that is going to be eternal, that will have an eternal impact on you, you will need the Holy Spirit. And so we'd like to consider the Holy Spirit. There was about two weeks ago on a Wednesday evening, a brother in our congregation had a devotional before the prayer time, and he talked about the Holy Spirit, and he asked some very probing questions. One of them was, do we have the Holy Spirit? Another one was, how do we know we have the Holy Spirit? How can we tell that we have the Holy Spirit? Good question. How do we know? What is the evidence? Can it be seen? Can it be felt? How do we know? It is absolutely essential that we have the Holy Spirit. There's a startling verse that is worth consideration, Romans 8 9. It says, but you're not in the flesh... But in the spirit, can we say that? We're not in the flesh, we're in the spirit. If, here's this little word, if. And it's good for us when we read over verses like this to be able to pick out that word and lift it out. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, He is none of his. Now, if I went out tonight and bought a car, young man, and I bought a car without an engine, and I sat in that car, and I turned the key, and I sat there and acted like I'm driving it, and I try to convince you I'm driving it, you would say I'm a fool, right? What's wrong with you? But, you know, I'm not so sure that trying to live the Christian life Without the Holy Spirit is much difference. Living the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is like living our physical lives without breathing. It is so absolutely important. Young people, it's so important to have the Holy Spirit. So tonight, my title, Am I Walking After the Spirit? I am not, I don't make a very good theologian. I can't put it all into place of when a person gets the Holy Spirit, Uh, Does he just get it once? Does he get it many times? How does he get it? I can't put that all in place. 
There's probably others sitting here that would be able to do a much better job at that than what I am. But let us just take a look at a few verses. Let's turn to John chapter 16. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit coming when he was leaving the disciples. John chapter 16. Tonight we're going to consider, am I walking after the Spirit? It is so absolutely essential. Everything we do will be of no value if we don't have the Spirit. John chapter 16 Verses 4 to 15, but these things have I told you, Jesus speaking, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I've told you of them. And these things I said unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. One of the reasons it's so important that Jesus went back and sent the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit can be with each one of us, no matter where we are, no matter how far apart we are. But when Jesus was here, he was in one locale. And if you wanted to see Jesus or you wanted to be around Jesus, you needed to walk the streets of Galilee with him. But it was essential for him to go. He wanted to send the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, why did he, the Holy Spirit come? It says, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In other words, the Holy Spirit, what I'm getting out of this, Jesus is going back to the Father. He went back to the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit is going to be living in the heart and soul of each one of us who have surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is going to be the one that's going to tell us that's sin. Don't do that. That's wrong. He's sending the Holy Spirit, and when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. Of righteousness. That's right. This is wrong. This is right. Don't you see? We need the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to tell us that is right and that is wrong. Or that is wrong and that is right. And of judgment, it's going to help you make the right decision. Here's the wrong, and here's the right. I'm going to choose the right. The Holy Spirit It's going to come, and when it is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not only of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of the world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he... The spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth. How do I know truth? How do I find truth? The Holy Spirit will guide you. It is totally essential that we have the Holy Spirit. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak 
and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show unto you all things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take a mine and shall shew it unto you. A little while and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while and ye shall see me because I go to the Father. So we have the Holy Spirit coming. We see some of the reasons it come. We see at the birth of the church, at the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Just a few other verses that we have that uh, bring out this idea of the Spirit. Romans 8. Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Again, the essential part of the Holy Spirit being in our lives. There is now no condemnation. To who? To those who walk in the Spirit, who walk not after the flesh. No condemnation. That means that I can go to bed at night and I can put my head on my pillow and I can sleep in peace because I got the Holy Spirit. No condemnation. Romans 8, verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. This is where I got my title tonight, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Walking after the Spirit. Walking after the Spirit. So there is no condemnation to whom? Those that walk after the Spirit. So how do we know if I'm walking after the Spirit? One of the differences is condemnation or no condemnation. But we want to consider a moment. How do we know whether we have the Holy Spirit? You know, when I have a fever, that is a sign that there's an infection somewhere. If I have a fever, I can identify the fact that there must be something going on in my body. It's fighting some kind of a cold infection or something. I know how to read that. But how do I know whether I'm walking after the Spirit? We may not know how to determine if I'm walking after the Spirit. Myself, how do I determine if I'm walking in the Spirit? I have even a harder time determining if you're walking in the Spirit. How do we know? So if I see a man driving down the road, he's driving a horse and buggy, he's got a hat on, he's got plain clothing on, I would say he's an Amish. If I saw a man uh, in the convenience store and he has a little black cap on his head, and he's dressed conservative, I would say he's a Jew. If I would see a man come to our little 
country store and he's got his head all wrapped up, I would say he's probably of the Sikh religion. We can discern those things, but how do we know if someone is walking in the Spirit? Walking after the Spirit. So, I would like to do a little bit of a test, and you help me answer whether these people were walking after the Spirit or whether they were walking after the flesh. And maybe we'll just find out whether we can tell if the Holy Spirit is actually alive and working in our lives. Just maybe we can. Think about Abraham. God came to him and said, Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to take your only son. You know, this son that he was praying for for some 20 years, the promise was given. I'm sure his whole life was wrapped up in his son. Abraham, I want you to take your son, and I want you to take him to Mount Moriah, and there I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham's response was, as we read in Genesis, that early the next morning, He saddled his ass, and he headed to the mountains with his son, with the wood, and he went to Mount Moriah. Now, was he walking after the spirit, or was he walking after the flesh? Well, I would like to think that Abraham was walking after the spirit. What do you think? Think he was? Isaac. Isaac lived, went back to the land where his father Abraham had been. His father Abraham had dug a whole bunch of wells. He come back in there. These wells were all closed up because the Philistines were jealous. and They didn't want him to see Abraham prosper, and so they closed all the wells, stocked them full of stones. Isaac come back, and he opens up the first well, and he doesn't get it more than open and starts drinking from it. And guess what? The Philistines come and chase him away and say, wait a minute here, this is our well. Genesis records that he just went to the next one. He opened that one, and I forget, was it two or was it three that he opened up and they fought for? It wasn't until the third or fourth one until they left to go. He simply walked away without fighting for his rights, not once and not twice. Now, was he walking after the spirit or was he walking after the flesh? You know, as I start thinking, well, you may say, well, did they have the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Well, I think they did. They didn't have it universal like we do today. There in uh, one of the last minor prophets, it says that he's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. And so today, when you get born again, you get the Holy Spirit. Everyone who is truly born again is given the Holy Spirit. But under the Old Covenant, I believe there were men and women who had the Holy Spirit. So, Isaac was walking after the Spirit. When Eve listened to the serpent, and it took of the fruit, and she ate of the fruit, and she gave it to her husband, Adam, and he also ate of the fruit. 
Were they walking after the spirit or were they walking after the flesh? You know, after a while, it doesn't become so hard to determine whether I am walking after the spirit or after the flesh. When Joseph found himself alone in the house with a woman who was not his wife and she wanted him to sin with her, he ran away even shedding his own coat to get out of there. Was he walking after the spirit or was he walking after the flesh? When Saul offered the sacrifice that he was supposed to wait for until Samuel came, he offered it doing what was not for him to do rather than waiting for Samuel as he was told to do. Was he walking in the spirit or was he walking in the flesh? When Daniel appealed to the king rather than eating of his dainties, he asked if he would have permission to eat pulse, healthy food. I think there was more to it than just the healthy food. There's definitely something to that, but I think God's blessing was on his life for choosing it. Was he walking in the spirit, after the spirit, or after the flesh? When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down to the idol, even willing to go to the furnace for there to stand, were they walking after the spirit or after the flesh? When David was on the rooftop one evening and looked and saw a woman bathing, took her and sinned with her, was he walking in the spirit or was it walking in the flesh? Paul, through writing to the Galatians, gave a beautiful list, and we're going to take a few moments to read it. Galatians chapter 5. As we consider this, walking after the spirit or after the flesh, he gave a real nice catalog that is very easy to understand. Verse 16 of Galatians chapter 5, it says, This I say then, walk. I have that word underlined. Walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I wrote here, it's a guarantee. That is a guarantee. If I will walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For there's a battle that is going on. The flesh is lusting against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. These are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery. Manifest. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Here, you want to see the works of the flesh. Here they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. That list could go on and on. He 
just gave us a sample of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do, they which do these things, those that practice these kind of things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is, this is what it is, it's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are of Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. We live in the Spirit. Let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of being glory, provoking one another, envying one another. So, if I go home tonight and my wife says something to me that I don't like and I make an unkind remark, am I walking after the Spirit or am I walking after the flesh? Walking after the flesh, right? If I come to you and confess that I have feelings for a woman that is not my wife, or if I confess that I have viewed sinful sexual things, was I walking in the spirit or was I walking after the flesh? not so hard to figure out, is it? Am I walking in the spirit or am I walking after the flesh? Just think about our lives. What are we practicing? What is the, what are we known for? Well, they're really hard to get along with. Really? You know, the Bible said that when the Holy Spirit comes, it will not speak of himself. It will not speak of himself. And so that tells me that if we want to try to figure out if, well, is that of the Spirit or of the flesh, all we need to do is ask, well, would we expect Jesus to do something like that? Because the Holy Spirit is not going to say anything other than that. If I have things in my life that are more exciting to me and I put more time and thought into them than my relationship with God, am I walking after the Spirit or am I walking after the flesh? If I argue, fight, think I'm better than others, I don't get along well with others, overall I just do not do well with relationships, doesn't sound like Jesus, does it? Am I walking after the Spirit or am I walking after the flesh? If I'm a joyful person, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If I walk in peace with those that are around me, am I walking in the Spirit or am I walking after the flesh? If I'm the kind of person that is known to love everybody in spite of color, creed, nationality, am I walking after the spirit or after the flesh? 
If I'm a disciplined person, bringing my body into subjection, not overly lighthearted, not silly one time and moody and solemn another, words thought out well, am I walking after the Spirit or after the flesh? You know, it's not too difficult to consider We can tell whether our life has works or fruit. They will distinguish it. It is so important that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will not force itself on anyone. And I don't know if tonight I can tell you How necessary it is to invite the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure if I have all of that straight. I do know that when you get born again, that the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you. But I would venture to guess that it would be of our best interest to daily and maybe momentarily invite the Holy Spirit to be in and control my being. I think it would be so necessary. We must cooperate with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will be there to be our strength. Zerubbabel, uh, I believe it was Haggai or Zechariah maybe that was speaking to Zerubbabel when he had a monumental responsibility. Zechariah said to him, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel saying, not by might, Not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. So necessary. And maybe we need to do it daily. And maybe we need to do it momentarily. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. Not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Let's consider a moment That without me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. We need that attachment. There's a little uh, story that uh, F.B. Myers gives that depicts that so well. And he tells this story of how he had a little conversation with his Saul. F.B. Myers had a firewood factory. He had a firewood factory where they made firewood, take the logs, split them, cut them, split them, and sell it. And he employed prisoners. That was noble. I think that was real noble. So he employed these prisoners. Myers would give them a job. He'd give them good wages, a place to live. And when possible, he would also give them spiritual encouragement. In exchange, he expected them to render good employment. But they didn't. And he lost a lot of money. And it didn't go well. Finally, he fired them all. And he went out and purchased a circular saw. A gas-powered engine powering the circular saw. And he said in one hour, he turned, it turned out more work than the combined 
combined effort of all the men in the course of a whole day. So what took a whole day was done in one hour. One day, Meyer had a little conversation with Esau. How can you turn out so much work? He asked. Are you sharper than the saws my men were using? Well, probably not. Is your blade shinier? No, probably not. What then? Better oil? Better lubrication? The Saul's answer, Mr. Meyer said, the Saul's answer, if it could have spoke, would have been, I think that there's a stronger force of power driving behind me. Something is working through me with a new force. It is not I, it's the power behind Meyer later observed that many Christians and even many ministers are working in the power of the flesh. Working in the power of the flesh. In the power of the intellect, in the power of their own energy, their own enthusiastic zeal, but with poor effect. They need to become linked to the power of God through the Holy Ghost. And so there is a possibility for me that even though I have been born again, and though I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, that I can become very careless and disinterested and maybe even allow some sin in my life, and it will hinder the power of the Holy Spirit. I just have so much to learn. Again, I don't know. I can't give you a good explanation of exactly this is what, how the Holy Spirit works. But I know this. He wants to inhabit each one of us. And we need to make a safe place for it to inhabit. And we need to continue to ask for those fillings. I need to be taught. I got so much to learn. But you know, maybe even more than that, I got habits in my life that are strongholds. But the exciting thing is, is this is where the Holy Ghost will help us. Let us consider. The Bible says in John 14, 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. How does this work? Now, I still struggle at times. I still struggle with anger at times. Not like I used to. At one time, I was such an angry person. My fuse was so short that before I knew what happened, I had already lost my temper. And, you know, that was one of the hardest battles, one of my, one of a few hardest battles that I ever battled against. But here's the way I think it works. So one of the things that really brought me to a point of seeing that this anger is just giving my world a bunch of trouble. Was the verse that says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And so I concluded 
that wrath, even though I had people around me that told me that a little anger shows the man in you. I disagree with that. The Bible says the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. It doesn't work what is right. But my fuse was so short that before I could get a hold of it, I lost my temper. Things would fly. Words would fly. Boards would fly. I would stand there. I would scream. But here's where the Holy Spirit helped me. I memorized that verse. And so when I felt the emotions coming... At first, the emotions were ahead of that verse. And I already lost my temper and then the verse would come. But I kept seeking for the Holy Spirit to bring it to my remembrance. And you know, today, way long before those emotions come, the warning is there. Now remember... This is a situation that is going to make you angry. Okay, that's right. The Bible says, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And you know, as the Holy Spirit worked in my life, and as I allowed the gentle Holy Spirit to speak into my life, slowly but surely, we're winning the battle. Have I won it? completely successfully no I haven't am I known to be an angry person I don't think I am the Holy Spirit when it comes it will bring things to your remembrance have you ever been driving down the road and you saw something and you said I may look at it and there's a temptation to look at it The Holy Spirit, if it's alive and well in your heart, it will say, oh, I can't. I made a covenant with my eyes. As Job said, I won't look upon a maid. I made a covenant with my eyes. This is how the Holy Spirit works, but it is so gentle. It is so gentle. We need to be listening. Folks, young people, we need to be listening. It is so gentle. We have to be so careful because the Holy Spirit, uh, it says in Thessalonians, quench not the Spirit. That tells me that it's possible to put out the fire. Just like we take water and we can pour it on a fire and put the fire out, it is possible to quench the Holy Spirit. How do we quench the Holy Spirit? By not listening. By not listening. So when those verses come, this is wrong. The Holy Spirit, when it comes, it will judge the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. This is right. This is wrong. And this is the wise decision. But we have to be so careful. When the Holy Spirit puts his finger on our lives... We need to listen up. We need to be listening. (laughs) 
Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit can actually be grieved. Now, I can't stand here and tell you this evening whether the Holy Spirit is a person and we need to, you know, I, I can't get all of those things in a nice theological order. But I can tell you this much, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And we have to be so careful when the Holy Spirit speaks, we need to be listening. Let's look at three different ways that the Holy Spirit speaks. There's, I have three different ways. One is the conscience. The avenue that the Holy Spirit most frequently comes to us is by our conscience. How many of us listen to our conscience? How many of us listen to our conscience? Don't, don't do that. I don't always listen. I don't always listen to my conscience. Once in a while, I do something I know I shouldn't have done. It is possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, does that mean that if I do it once, I grieve the Holy Spirit and he left me? Probably not. But you know, after you do it long enough, you know how the conscience works? Someone put it like this. The conscience has... It's like, like that thing in there with three points, three sharp points, and this thing's turning within us. Conscience is like this object within us with three sharp points. And when we do something or we're tempted to do something we shouldn't, it starts turning. And those sharp edges prick us, and it hurts. But you know, as... All things wear down if that thing's allowed to turn long enough and not listen to it, those sharp edges will wear off. That is why, that is why today men and women can do some of the most gruesome acts because they seared their conscience. They just simply went against what they knew long enough. Without the Holy Spirit, it is like being a sailor on a sea without a compass. And none of us would want to sail across the Atlantic without a compass. I wouldn't. Without the Holy Spirit, it's like being in an airplane without the aviation guiding technology. It would be a sure disaster. I have an illustration here of the desperate need we have of the Holy Spirit. We can't grieve the Holy Spirit. We need it. There was a guide who lived in the deserts of Arabia, and he never lost his way, but he didn't have a compass. What did he carry with him? A homing pigeon. He had this homing pigeon, and he would tie a real thin thread to its one leg, and when he got somewhere he didn't know which way to go, he would throw the dove into the air, the pigeon, the homing pigeon in the air, and he would slowly let this thin cord out. And the way they normally do is they go up, they fly around a little bit, they make a circle or two, and then they head off in the direction of home. And so he knew exactly where to go. Now, wouldn't be, that be something if we had a bird like that? 
But we do, folks. We have it. And we have to be so careful that we don't destroy it or we'll get lost in the Arabian desert. Conscience. So the Holy Spirit, the heavenly dove, is willing to and able to direct us in the narrow way that leads to the more abundant life. If I'm humble, self-denial, we submit to his unerring supervision. Turn with me over to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 5, fourteen to 21, it says here, Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So then, see then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye... Not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Recently I was reading and read of a minister that went to a church and visited another minister and his church. And they got this talking about this verse and the one minister asked the other one, so have you ever used church discipline on somebody who was a drunkard? And the minister said, sure, we had to do that already. And then this other minister said, and when have you used church discipline because somebody wasn't filled with the Spirit? Good question. Be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. What I see here is somebody who's filled with the Spirit. This is what you're going to find. You're going to find a person who's speaking to themselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now this, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns, I think it's speaking to one another. So if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we'll be speaking to each other in numerous different ways. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. We'll be singing and we'll be making melody in our hearts to the Lord. Now that talks to me about a person who is happy, content in life, and they're a joyous singing person. Now, I don't see in here a person who walks around glum, sullen, grouchy. So easy. It is so easy to be that way. You know, there's some days that I just feel ugly. Do you ever have those days where you just feel ugly? Let's be honest, there's days we just feel ugly. We need to identify that as this is walking after the flesh. And I need to say this is not the way I should be living. And I need to stop and 
asked for another filling of the Holy Spirit. And so it may need to be momentary at times. Giving thanks always for all things. Giving thanks always. I like, I really enjoy being around thankful people. You know, one of the things that saps the energy out of me is to be around somebody who can only be negative. So I like to be about, around thankful people. The problem is, I'm not so sure that I am such a thankful person myself. I like to be around them. You can just see that. You can see those people. I met a person recently, and there was something about the way they had a spring in their step. They had a song in their lips. They had the joy of the Lord as their strength. And they were a thankful person. And so I walked up to them and I said, I, by all observations, you know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, yes, I've been born again. You can see it. You can see it. And that is what the world needs to see. Giving thanks always all for all things unto God and the Father. That's the challenge. But the Holy Spirit will help us. Even when everything's going wrong, thank you. All things, all things work for good. Giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Oh, that can be so difficult. Submitting. You know, we do it. Sometimes our boss isn't real reasonable. And he asks us to do stuff like, what's he thinking? You know, it's important that we're known to be of those who submit. Sure. Yes. I'll take the hard road. These are all signs of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. These are the kind of people I want to be around. Being filled with the Spirit is more than a suggestion. It is a command. Be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turning your Bibles. Something very important here to notice, furthermore, in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And I heard Brother John talk about that, that abounding. There's always available grace. There is no extent where we can't go. So ye would abound more and more, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also have forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Verse 8. He therefore that despises, 
despises not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. What that's saying to me there, if I sin against another human being, if I defraud, if I sin against another human being, it says here that I'm not despising man. In other words, as David, when David was, uh, when he faced his sin with Bathsheba, he said, against thee and against thee only have I sinned. In other words, first and foremost, his sin was against the holy God. Did he sin against Bathsheba? Yes. Did he sin against Uriah? Yes. But we have to look beyond. Not only do we sin against God, but it says we sin against the Holy Spirit. And so it's so important, folks, that we are so careful even in our relationships. Because if we sin against our fellow men, we're sinning against God. We're sinning against the Holy Spirit whom God has given. If we walk in uncleanness rather than holiness, we sin not only against God, but against the Holy Spirit whom God has given for our blessing and well-being. Again, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit has been given to be a helper to us, a paraclete, one who comes alongside to aid. There was a man, and the story has it, gives it as a, as a picture. His name was Oscar Wilde, and he was pacing the cell floor from one end of the cell to the other, back and forth like a wild man. Crazy. He was out of his mind. He was like an animal in a rage. And he kept pacing back and forth like wild animals do in their cages. He was nigh insane. What was his problem? He killed the very thing he loved. His own wife, who was given to him to be a helpmeet. So it is for us, the Holy Spirit, let's be so careful, he's given as a helper. He's come to show us what is sin, what is not sin, what is right, and he helps us make wise judgments. He guides us into all truth. Let's be very careful that we do not sin against the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 11, just winding down here. Luke chapter 11, reading 1 to 13, and we want to grab these verses here that talk about how eager God is to give us the Holy Spirit. Why don't we start in verse 5? And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, trouble be not. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, 
Yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Just because he was a friend, it wasn't enough. But because he was persistent. Friend, I need it. I can't go on without it. I got people over in my house and they need. I am not leaving until you give me the, the uh, bread that I need. He was persistent. And because he was so persistent, not because he was a friend, not because he kind of liked him, but because he was persistent, he gave him. Making a point here. Jesus is making a point. He said, I say unto you, ask, it shall be given you. Seek, you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. We use these verses for a lot of different things, and I think it's okay. But really, what he's talking about is the Holy Spirit. For everyone that asks to receive it, he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, Will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Jesus here is using an illustration that we can understand. I don't believe there's any one of you that are sitting here that if you would ask for an egg, Dad, could I have an egg for breakfast? All right. Close your eyes. Hold out your hand. And you put a scorpion in it, and you get stung. What father would ever do that? Or if you ask, you know how we do sometimes, all right, you want a fish? Close your eyes, open your mouth, and he sticks a stone in there. None of our fathers would ever do that unless they're really being silly. Just using a very practical illustration to remind us how much God wants to give us his Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. If ye then being evil, you know, we don't always get it right. We make a lot of mistakes. Us as parents, we make a lot of mistakes. We don't like it, but we do. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit To them that ask. Notice the how much more. I believe this evening the answer to the question is not all that hard. Look at what is emanating out of your life. From your life. Through your life. Look at the people you're relating to. The closest. See how you're responding to life's difficulties. Are you peaceful and happy or are you disturbed and distressed? If the Holy Spirit is sent from God and he will only speak the things of God, then the effects of the Holy Spirit should line up perfectly with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Am I Christ-like? Am I Christ-like? the beginning we said it's a little hard to tell you know there's things we do see and you know if i get a fever i know i have an affection if i see a person depends how they're dressed i know what religious organization they're a part of but you know it isn't that hard with the holy spirit i think it was in uh, 
The New York Times, some years ago, they had, a, they had two pictures side by side. There was no caption, no explanation to go with it at all. All it was is two pictures, and it told everything that was needed. The first picture, you saw a bunch of school-aged children coming out of the subway, off the, out of the station, and they are singing, they are throwing their hats into the air, and they are smacking each other on the back, and they were just, you could just see, life was just emanating out of them. Right next was another picture. And this was also some people coming off of the subway. But these were the workers of the day. They were all coming off the train. They had their heads down. It looked like there was no life to them. It spoke volumes without any caption. I believe, I really believe, it's not that hard to know whether I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm not sure it's that hard to know whether someone else is filled with the Holy Spirit. Does their character line up to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ? Where are you today? A pastor one day visited the World Fair in Chicago. Off in the distance, he saw this man robed in bright, gaudy, oriental clothes. And he was cranking, really cranking. And from a distance, he thought, well, now that's interesting. That man has endless energy. I mean, the stream of water that was coming out of that pump that he was cranking was immense. And so he had to check this out. And so he walked closer. And when he got closer, he realized that the man was wooden. And rather than him turning the crank and turning the water out, the water was turning the crank, which turned the man. So which are you? Which are you? Is the Christian life really that hard? Maybe it's time to once again just do exactly what the Bible says. Jesus said, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit, give them the Holy Spirit that ask? How much more? It is not by power, it's not by might, but it's by my Spirit, saith the Lord. If you are going to get... If you're going to be able to take these good teachings that we're getting in the mornings and we're going to be able to apply them to our lives and we're going to be able to live effectively, put these things into practice, we're going to need the Holy Spirit. And so I think it would really, really be good. We're not going to have an altar call tonight, but I do want to ask you, I do want to ask you, if you know that you need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, I want you to do that. I want you to ask. I think it's pertinent that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you think? Yes. So I would like if we could all just stand. And I, along with you, I feel I need a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. 
So let's close our eyes and let's pray. Heavenly Father, this evening, even though we don't know all about the significance of how the Holy Spirit comes, when he comes, how often he comes, what happens when we grieve him, this we do know. We are never going to make it in life if we don't have a fresh filling. And I pray for these young people. As we think of the week ahead and the opportunities of the week, the teaching that is coming, Father, I pray that it could be as effective as most effective. And I am going to pray, Father, that you would please Encourage these young people to turn up their cups and to do exactly as you said. If anyone will ask for the Holy Spirit, how much more, how much more will we give the Holy Spirit to those that ask? We need it in life. We've got relationships and they can be so hard and so difficult. We're tempted to be grouchy and moody. We're tempted to be angry. We're tempted to go places we shouldn't. We need the Holy Spirit. We want the joy of the Lord to be our strength. We want to be vitally attached attached to the vine, the sap flowing in, so out of our bellies would flow rivers of living water. We want to have peace in the midst of the storm. We want to respond in a Christ-like way when someone has crossed our path. We need the Holy Spirit. Father, if I, if any of us have grieved the Holy Spirit, we haven't been listening. We didn't listen. We aren't listening. We repent. We ask for your forgiveness. We want the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We can't live without it. We will be lost in the Arabian desert. So thank you, Father. Bless each one of these young people, each parent, each child, each one that has come out tonight. And may you give us what we need to live out this glorious freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Thank you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.